It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is the ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour. Kane Pittman and Olga Nulich back to break down all the weekend's NBL in which we continue to look at the standings and see that we have got a whole mess of teams that are not really pushing for the top six, but hoping to fall over the line in the top six. Some crazy results over the weekend. Uh, Perth Wildcats and New Zealand Breakers was a highly entertaining game. Melbourne United now lost two out of three. And what is going on in Sydney? My man Olga was in the press conference and I just listened to it and he was asking all the hard questions, which we love to see. Olga, hard-hitting journalist, as we come to expect. Oh, thanks, man. Yes. Thank you so much. Uh, those press conferences are, are fun. Yeah. I experienced a, a thing last season where I was in a lot of Illawarra Hawks press conferences when they're losing every single game and you have to sort of come up with a different way to ask the question of like, uh, oh, you must be proud of that effort. Ex- expectations are different in Sydney though. And so the questions have to be a little bit more hard hitting. It seems it doesn't seem like this team really knows the answers. We, For those who didn't watch or for those who want like the, the, view, the view from the ground, it's like this team... There are constantly, there, there remain a ton of questions about the energy of this team, the intensity of this team, the urgency. Seems like Mahmoud Abdel Fattah doesn't really know the answer either. So this team's in a really bad place. And Kane, we were talking about it throughout the, the start of this season where King started off well and then they sort of faltered a little bit and we thought, they'll pick it back up. We trust their offense. We trust the talent. And they've now lost, I think, seven of their last 10 games. Defense is looking really, really shoddy. Um, I don't, it's to the point where we went from, yeah, we trust what this Kings team is going to do to, I don't know what to make of this Kings team to maybe they're just like a, a bottom of the pack playing team. And that just, that might just be what they are, unfortunately. So we were going to start with the Perth Wildcats, but I actually, I've already changed my mind. Let's just keep it rolling with the Kings because I did find it really fascinating. Some of the answers that were coming back uh, in that press conference, because Kind of the questioning from you and the others that were in the press conference was around, uh, do you know what the answer is? Or is there a level of urgency? Or is this team understanding where it sits? And I thought my takeaway, and maybe I'm reading into this wrong, but I thought there was a lot coming from Mahmoud that was like, uh, you know, the, the players aren't playing with effort. The players need to be better. We understand what uh, that the effort needs to be better so far. Uh, in this season, but if it doesn't turn around in the locker room, then nothing's going to change. I thought that was fascinating because when you look at a team that has lost a whole bunch of games, and a lot of the times you'll hear a coach and people can look at it and say, well, this is just cliche press conference business, so it's not worth listening to. This felt a little more honest, but I did think it was interesting that it did seem to me that a lot of this pressure was shifting to the players. Well, we well, we had been asking about this. So I've been in Sydney for a few weeks, and so I've been in a few of these press conferences now. And we had been asking about this over the past few games. That I've been in the building for so the, the Kings beat Cairns at home, which was a good win, but they lost to the no, Aurora but Hawks. no, they lost to it, Melbourne. It wasn't a good win, and we discussed this last week on the podcast yeah. that I, I didn't think I saw defensively 
and we kind of disagreed on this and you were in the building i was watching yeah. from a vantage point on tv so it's a little bit different but i thought defensively that, that i didn't see the changes that meant that this was actually a turning point they ticked the box they got a win that they really really needed but i wasn't that surprised that straight away the weekend after two losses and a lot of the problems were on the defensive end i i think that yes it was a win they desperately needed it but i didn't think that i saw a turning point for this team perhaps as much as you did and and i think it was disappointing again this weekend yeah and you said that to me right away as well and i didn't agree with it now in hindsight i'm looking i'm thinking maybe it was just a fine win but there was no indicator that, that was going to be any sort of turning point the, the issue now is that they've lost a whole bunch of games a lot of them at home as well so they're not even stacking up some of these home wins like that that should have been a home win over the illawarra hawks who were still finding their groove with with tatum and they let them come back in the game and beat them at home. Uh, the game against Melbourne was a tough one. Melbourne is just a better team than Sydney right now. Yeah. Um, then going into this one, you absolutely shouldn't lose this game. Um, and it's again, we've been asking the same thing over and over again because it seems quite clear that it's it's an effort thing, that it's that it's an urgency thing, that the Kings just you don't feel them when they're guarding you. Um, and I think that's what the, the Brisbane the Brisbane Bullets went in with a game plan, absolutely executed it to perfection. And the Sydney Kings sort of just like flailed it and just like sat back and and, and took it. Uh, and and the Mahmoud Abdelfatta has been mentioning a lot about that effort. He's been speaking about it a lot, figuring out where he's going to get it from, who's going to lead it. And he said something to the presser. Uh, he said something to the effect of, we've been saying the same thing over and over again, but at the end of the day, it's got to change and the guys in the locker room have to be willing to do it. Yes. So I don't know if that's like a sign that he's he's doing his best to rally these guys and they're just not doing it. Um, I still think that the jury is out on Abdel Fattah as a coach. I just don't think we've seen enough to say either side, whether he's good or bad, right? I think there have been some good things early in the season, especially there have been some bad things too. Uh, but as far as... The issues here, I think it's it's largely on this playing group. And again, we said at the start, I think it's a Xavier Cooks thing. I don't think it's like a Xavier Cooks talent thing. I think it's a Xavier Cooks like personality thing. Who is who is that guy in this locker room? I don't think that person exists right now. So in headline and storyline this week, I at least floated some ideas. And I love that we do this column every single Monday because it's kind of a place where uh, myself, you, and Peter Hawley can just put little ideas out there, and then we get the chance to discuss it a little more broadly on this podcast. So, you know, I, I brought up something earlier in the season, and again, uh, I picked Sydney to win the title preseason. So I feel like I should always throw out that disclaimer there, so I'm not, uh, you know, sounding like I knew everything, I saw everything. No, because I thought this Sydney team was going to be awesome, and I probably held on to it a little bit longer. That they'll be okay. They'll be okay. And that's what happens when you win two straight titles. But one thing that I did point out to you going back you know, a month or so ago, maybe a little bit longer, was just the the reliance on Alex Tui as a as a next star who's had an awesome season. And you know, we caught up with Jonathan Gavoni last week on the jump, and he said he's been one of the great surprises, and he's really on NBA radars. And we think that he's going to have an incredible career. So that's fine. But I just think the NBL, we've seen it. We've watched it year on year on year. It is really hard if you're relying on guys that are either in their first year or they're you know 21 and under to have that responsibility night in, night out. It's challenging. And I do think when we look at the defense and last year we think about Xavier Cooks and Justin Simon that were on this team because it was both of those guys, that those two guys were your, your premier defenders. And then you have someone like Geordie Hunter that is protecting the rim, but he's got a little bit more insurance in front of him. 
with Cooks and Justin Simon. Even. This year, when I'm watching the Kings, I'm seeing Alex Tui in the big matchups. I'm seeing Jalen Galloway in the big matchups. And I wonder whether, you know, defensively, whether the personnel is actually there for this team to get anywhere back. So you talk about effort, but do they actually have the guys to be a top two, top three defense? Because I do think that the Sydney Kings can win enough games. I still think they can finish in the top four and they can be dangerous in the postseason because offensively, we keep talking about the talent and they've got bucket getters and they've got guys that can go crazy. They, they can shoot really well from three. We know it's been a little bit uh, variable so far this year, but I just wonder defensively, Maybe they just don't have the guys to be a top three defense this season. Yeah, well, I mean, we, I think we both acknowledge that Alex Tui is a plus defender. Jalen yeah, Galloway is a plus no defender. But they went from having Xavier Cooks and Justin Simon to having Alex Tui and Jalen Galloway. Now, again, both, I think, really solid defenders, but they're not at that. They're not at the, the same level, obviously. And if and I look at the top three teams, right, the, the three teams ahead of Sydney. I think of Melbourne and who are they leaning on defensively? They're yes. leaning on Shaili and Matthew Delvado. Veterans. And then also and also Ariel Hokpori and, and Joe Luala Chul Jr. in the paint. So they have all of those guys who are veterans of what they do defensively and you feel them in a different way than you feel Tui and Galloway. I look at Perth. They have someone like Christian Doolittle who, yes. again, is that sort of guy. And then Tasmania. I think, I think Magne is a version of that. Someone who's out there and you can absolutely feel them, right? They change the game defensively. Yeah, I don't think Sydney has a version of that. And the thing that those guys also do is that they rally everyone. You can sort of get on those guys back and, and carry forward defensively. Whereas I don't think Sydney has a version of that. And it's why over their past 10, 10 games, they'd be the worst defensive team in the league. It, and it, it just, it hasn't been pretty. And then it doesn't help when they're not supplemented by their offense, which isn't as, I, I don't think it's as good as we thought it'd be. It's still quite solid, but I thought we would be, it would be at such a high level that it doesn't matter if they're not absolutely elite defensively because their offense would carry them. That's not even doing that. I think they had less than 40 points against Brisbane at the half yesterday. They, I think, the problem with this team now is that I don't know what the, I don't know if there's a fix because I don't know if the personnel is completely right. Yes, there's talent, but I don't know if the personnel is right to win an NBL title. Um, and this again, where they are right now, fourth on the ladder, it just might be what this team is. And we may have just misjudged them. We may have been blinded just by the talent that exists on this team and didn't look further into it. We didn't look deeply enough. And it does seem like they're searching for answers in terms of rotations. We discussed Denzel Washington last week. Uh, Denzel Washington. Denzel Valentine Kang. Uh, last week. <laughs> uh, sorry, mate. I was just watching a movie today. Uh, one of the greats, by the way, Denzel Washington. Let's Let's be honest. That's a really good save. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Denzel Valentine. Denzel Washington, I wonder, I wonder if he would knuckle down on defense a little bit more. What do you think? He can play. I mean, he'll act like it, I guess. That's he right. In a really, really elite way. What and do you think about Denzel Valentine, though? He's, no, he's one who there have been mixed opinions about, right? Like, I trust to an extent what he does offensively. I think there's a level of inconsistency there especially from a scoring perspective. His creation is kind of cool, but I don't think he sits down and guards. I think he's a net negative on that end. And I think we knew that coming in too. I think other teams knew that coming in. I think he's a target for a lot of teams. So I'm curious at what your perspective is because, again, the the view out there within the league is, is super mixed on Valentine. Well, that's why I think we've seen Sean Bruce come into the lineup and that was one of the answers you got in the press conferences was that 
And Brucey is one of the guys that they're leaning on to look for that leadership. But you know, early in this game, I look at Nathan Sobey and he adds, he was like a bull at a gate when he was looking at the perimeter defense. He's like, I'm coming straight at you. I'm going to try and get to the free throw line. And there didn't seem to be any concern that there was going to be uh, anyone that was going to be able to stop him. So, yeah, I think the perimeter defense has been a problem. And because of those rotations changing a lot, Tui now coming off the bench, you got quite noise in the starting lineup. DJ Hogue obviously not playing at the moment hurt. But I just think that they're, this isn't a team that's settled. But I think the reason they're not settled is because they appear to be looking for an answer. So they're 10 and 10. They're at 500, which, you know, purely by record wise, this is a this is an average basketball team so far based on what we've seen. Uh, but they didn't shoot the three well. And if you're not playing defense, you can't overcome those types of shooting nights. They were six for 20 from the outside in this game. And most games now for Sydney, because they are right back in the mix, are going to feel like they must win. And now all of a sudden they get an Adelaide team who's probably going to be feeling good. There's going to be a little bit of extra spice in this game with DJ Vasiljevic playing the Sydney Kings. And he went crazy against Melbourne United in the first quarter of the other night. So yeah, we discussed teams last week and we said, okay, well, just about every team in the league is watchable right now. I'm not suggesting that every team is good because there is a lot of mediocre teams record-wise right now. So many teams below 500. But the one team we said, you know, we kind of know. They're probably not going to be pulling off any major upsets. Adelaide, uh, well, they went ahead and beat Melbourne. And DJ was <laughs> awesome. Isaac Humphreys has been on a really nice stretch now. So it's just not a gimme anymore for the Sydney Kings team to go out on the road and get this win. And so let's like strip it back, super basic. Kings are 10 and 10, right? They go to Adelaide on Thursday. Are they the... Again, this is a simple question. Are they the favorite going into that game or not? In Adelaide, Adelaide feeling themselves after beating the ladder leaders. Well, they should be. They should be. They, sh- they should be. Yeah. So let's say they go into that game. It could be... that That's a volatile game, right? We don't know yeah. what Adelaide's going to bring to the table. They could be elite like they looked against Melbourne or they could lay an egg like they've done for the majority of the season. And then Sydney has to host New Zealand and then host Perth. Mm. Now those two... There's like a there's a non-zero chance that this team is is below 500 at the end of that stretch, and at that point, you're fighting to even make the six. I get their fourth right now, but it's a dogfight to make this six. Everyone's playing with urgency, and I think every I think other teams have those have that personnel to get through this sort of adversity. Whereas I'm not sure the Sydney Kings do because they've yet to demonstrate it. As soon as they demonstrate it, then then maybe we can believe it. And if they go ahead and beat New Zealand and beat Perth then maybe we're talking about something different, but they, they have to have a mighty shift sort of spiritually, I guess, or culturally in order to get over those teams. And if they do, then I guess we can put them back in that conversation of maybe they're, they're, a, they're a semi-contender. But at this but at this point, that's looking like a tough stretch. And then they go then they go to Melbourne to play Southeast, which we'll see what they even look like. But yeah, this, again, it's it's... I, I, I make it look like I make it sound like this is just the case with Sydney. It's the case with every team. Most games are very, very tough, and everyone is fighting for their lives right now. And this will be a really interesting revelation of character for this Kings team, with their backs properly against the wall. They pocketed wins early, right? So there wasn't as much pressure. But now they have to go into games. They have to go into games not thinking that they're the shit, right? They have to go into games thinking that, yeah, we're a middle-of-the-pack team. We've got to fight to get to the top. That has to be the mentality. And if, if that's not there, then they're out the six. 
for the first time in a while, it just feels like perhaps the Kings fan base, who have been very spoiled over the last few years, just getting a little bit restless, I would say, from what I'm seeing on social media. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, this is going to be a really interesting game now. Perhaps a little bit of spice with Adelaide, as I mentioned, on Thursday night, the jump will lead you straight into that game uh, pregame as well, 7 into a 7.30 tip-off. So pretty fun night of basketball on Thursday night on ESPN. Uh, if the Kings are looking for inspiration, though, Olgs, things can turn around. When things look dark, when things look miserable, when there is starting to be a lot of pressure from the fan base and everything feels like it can't turn around, they should look at their friends from the West, the Perth Wildcats, who started the season 2-5, and five, and now... As I look at the standings, they are very comfortably sitting in second on the ladder. They're 12 and 7 by my watch. They've won 10 out of their last 12 games. And they just went to New Zealand in a game that was highly entertaining. Offensive firepower, left, right, and center. They got the job done. Uh, again, Bryce Cotton, awesome. But some of these other role players that we've seen, I think the Perth Wildcats now, this run just continues to roll on. And, uh, they just have a lot of credit because mid-season, I don't think that this looked like something that was going to happen. Do you think there's any chance in the world that the Sydney Kings are having a board meeting this morning and saying, guys, just look at Perth. Look, look what they've done. They are who we look up to. Look at, let's let's give Hachi a call. Let's let's emulate John Reilly. Do you think that's what the Sydney Kings brass is going to do after the history? <laughs> that they have experience with this birthday. It would be hilarious if that's the tack that they go down. Um, I would love it though. But this Perth team is looking very real. They, again, we've we've been talking ad nauseum about how, about, about how Melbourne United are the favourites, right? And I still think they are the best offensive team, best defensive team. But Perth is on a really, really impressive, inspired stretch right now. Obviously led by Bryce Cotton, who's playing really, really good basketball putting the ball in the hole, hole at a rate that we haven't seen this season from anyone else. Um, and no one's really come close. He's playing every single minute of every yeah. single game. It is wild to watch him as an athlete go out there and perform, right? And, and if you don't appreciate watching Bryce Cotton now, then just like stop watching, to be honest. That you're, you're coming at from a salty perspective and you probably should leave. Watching everyone else step up, though, is cool. Um, the The... Biggest change, I think, and not even a change, but just like an emergence. And like, we, so we've spoken a lot about Christian Doolittle and how effective he's been, especially defensively, especially as a connector. Uh, we've spoken a lot about Hiram Harris and Jesse Wagstaff and how they've come in and and bolstered all the talent that's around them, especially Bryce. They've been, they've been the catalyst as far as getting Bryce going because they're getting Bryce the ball in the spots he wants them. And, and so that's helping this team in a big way. But I'm also looking at someone like Ty Webster, who I think from the moment that this flip happened, has really stepped up defensively. The way he picks up full court, the way he puts his body on the line. Yes, he can be erratic in some stretches. Yes, he can maybe play the game a little bit loose. But I think when push comes to shove, he's been a really, really important player for this team, especially defensively. Um, and then as a connector as well, which I don't think a lot of people around the NBL thought that he could be. I think they thought that there was an ego attached to him. And that he would come in and basically steal from Bryce and, and take away his thunder to an extent and try to get his own. But I think he's done a really good job of leaning into this this humility and playing alongside Bryce and trying to be a perfect partner for him. And while there's still some sort of there's still a ways to go before they do become a really, really solid partnership, I think they've taken a ton of strides. Um 
And I just really like the way he's playing. Like in that game, he's 11, 7, and 6. And I thought he was really solid defensively again. Um, and I think he's a big reason for this this turnaround as well. No Corey Webster. The depth on this team is still iffy. I, I don't know if I trust Jordan Usher to give them consistent output on either end, right? I don't think they have many other perimeter options, especially with Corey Webster injured. And so like as much as this is primarily, largely on Bryce and he's excellent. I give a lot of credit to Doolittle and Webster as the two other like stars who are playing their roles to perfection. Yeah, a lot of the effort stuff that I know I just said that I'm not sure whether you can just say effort, but this was a team that I know there were people at the Perth Wildcats that were just like, why aren't we rebounding? We thought that we addressed this with yeah. personnel on the roster. Why aren't we able to defend? We thought that we had a roster that is capable of doing this. This was early in the season when they were really struggling. And I do think that there was some role definition that probably needed to be ironed out and maybe there were different expectation, expectations from Ty Webster and Jordan Usher of what might be their role on this team. And they have to have a lot of credit. Absolutely. They have, they need to, to get a lot of credit because now they're doing a lot of the dirty work that this Wildcats team just was not doing all last mm-hmm. season or early this year. And it didn't necessarily translate to second chance points in this game for the Perth Wildcats, but they led the offensive rebounding count 16 to 8. Now, uh, you know I've been flagging for a while that I've got big concerns about New Zealand on the glass, but I look at Ty Webster and Jordan Usher, and they were 7 for 25 overall from the field. You say, okay, not great. But they did other things. You mentioned the six assists for Ty Webster, a couple assists there for Jordan Usher, but combined, they had nine offensive rebounds. So they were working. And they were doing the little things. And then you want to extend that a little bit further. I thought in the second quarter when the Perth Wildcats were down by 14 points and it looked like New Zealand was able to get what they wanted, I thought Hiram Harris was the best player on the floor in the second quarter. He he was able to score a little bit later in the game, but in the second quarter, he was on the floor. he He was on the glass again. He was pretty disruptive defensively. I thought he was awesome. So I think yeah, now the Perth Wildcats are doing... All those little things that can amount to to winning if you don't necessarily have the best efficiency scoring game, and they didn't in this, but they were able to keep keep chipping away and they were able to hang with a team when previously we've seen when teams score on the Perth Wildcats, they just don't stop and they just keep going right throughout the whole night. But they had a, an excellent stretch in this game where they were able to arrest the tide late in the second quarter. And then it was Bryce offensively who was able to get to the free throw line, particularly in the third quarter. I think he had three and ones. So as long as you can hang in there, you allow someone like Bryce the opportunity to completely take over. So uh, these guys deserve a lot of credit. And John Reilly, someone who, who was under a lot of fire and people were questioning, well, does he have this team? Is it the roster or is he not able to get these guys to work to do this mid-season? Now it looks like everyone's bought into what he, what he's doing. I don't know what the mid-season conversation that I know he spoke about they had. <laughs> But it's incredible. I wish that we could get some some audio or some vision or something of what they spoke about because the turnaround <laughs> happened quickly. They look like a completely different team as far as like the intent. And that's where like I if if they can if the Sydney Kings can go get an answer of how the Perth Wildcats turned it around, they should absolutely take all of that because the 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 change the shift that happened is sort of what the sort of the shift that Sydney Kings need right now too. Um, you mentioned Hiram Harris. I'm so intrigued at how teams haven't scouted Hiram Harris properly yet. Um, and I say this about like Matt Kenyon as well. Just like box a dude out. And I get it's tough because these guys work harder than you, right? <laughs> but these guys are just like consistently, constantly on the boards. 
and I don't know how, and, and that second shot creation is so important. That's like, that, that is shot creation. Like they're, they're creating extra positions for the team to get points. You, you need to box these guys out. And I don't know why teams don't do that. Now, I thought Perth was like largely bad defensively in this game. I thought New Zealand was too, especially in that second half. Um, and, I, and so I wonder if, if we're talking like nitty gritty, like potential negatives, I think there were some defensive lapses in this one. Ton of looks at the rim for New Zealand. Um, granted, New Zealand is a really good offensive team, especially <laughs> healthy. Um, and then I don't know about the depth on this team either. Like they played, they played practically eight guys, and one of those guys was Michael Harris, who played nine minutes. This is a really, really short rotation, and this isn't new for John Ridley. We've seen him do this before. Um, and Jesse Wagstaff has been playing out of his skin. Um, <laughs> it seems like every shot he takes is going in. Um, but yeah, the depth is something that I'm still slightly concerned about. Alex Sar's injury obviously didn't help in this regard. He's out for three weeks with that hip strain. Um, so they were missing size in this game, which I guess isn't really an issue against this New Zealand team. Um, but potentially against other teams in this stretch that have coming up, I wonder if the, the lack of size may be an issue there. But yeah, that's that's like the only... The main question I have, like Bryce will play 40 minutes. And for me, it's more just like, there's more opportunity for him to get hurt out there, which could be concerning, but I just don't know how much you're going to, you're trusting someone like a Jordan Usher to come off the bench and give you output consistently. That's my only issue there. Otherwise, they've been playing really, really good basketball. Them and it's, it's Perth and Melbourne who have been playing obviously the best basketball over the past, what, four or five weeks. And I, I don't think it's close. They're, they're two that have separated themselves. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Will McDowell-White, uh, what's the what's the deal here? He's had a really tough season um, with uh, injuries seemingly throughout. He, he doesn't seem like he's been quite healthy, but you know, we think about how reliable this team was offensively last year. He was a big part of that, and certainly heading into free agency, he was the marquee local name on the market, and it just doesn't seem like he's been able to get going this year. But he only played 15 minutes in this game, and there was multiple times where I was looking at the New Zealand offense, and they got a bit messy at times, and there was turnovers. And I was like, gee, that is the time last year where it's like, all right, just put Wilma Dale White on the floor, put him in a pick and roll, and he'll at least get you a good look. How, how healthy is he? What can you tell us right now? Because it is a little bit jarring, and we know Parker Jackson Carwright's had a, a great season so far, and he's got a, the ball in his hands a lot. And now Anthony Lamb comes in, and he's even though he sort of plays the the four, he's a guy that has the ball a lot. So I understand that there are some challenges and there's many guys in this team that can create, but it's just not what I would have expected we were going to see in terms of role for Will McDowell-White coming into this season. In fact, I don't think anyone would feel that way. 
Yeah, and the injuries also affect obviously affected that in a significant way. Yeah. Um, he's he's been on a he's had a minutes restriction over the past few games since he was coming back from that that leg injury. Um, he played seventeen minutes the game prior to the Perth one. He played fifteen minutes against Perth. I'm told that minutes restriction is right around the twenty to twenty five minute mark. Mm. Um, so he has been playing slightly below those uh, that restriction. But Parker Jason Carwright is obviously really really talented player um so it's like it's very difficult to find uh like four carrying minutes for both of them it's very hard to split those minutes obviously um i do think that when mcdowell white has been on the floor he's been i think he's been really really effective especially offensively obviously um i think his creation has been there him off and on ball he's finding guys left and right he's doing that in an elite way honestly like as good as i've ever seen it from him and so it would be good to see him empowered a little bit more and I think this team could use it but I think this team is really good offensively anyway like they are, they are finding their spots they they have the talent to be really good offensively and they are um honestly like it it feels like it's just coming down to how many point guard how many minutes of the point are available yeah you can only play those two together for so long and I don't think that it's like a net negative with Jackson Carr right and McDowell right on the floor together right? I I honestly think it's fine but you do want to maximize those guys when they are on the floor as the ball carries. And so you do want to put, if you if you have McDowell White out there or Parker Jason Carr, right? You want Isaiah Liafe on one wing and you want Matas Ruftavichus on the other wing and you want Anthony Lamb in the court. Like you want complementary players to maximize those guys as opposed to trying to just milk minutes out of both of them to play them together just to give them minutes. Um, but I, I do I do find it intriguing. And it's I think it's a broader question going into a potential free agency as well where you have McDowell White, who looks like the, the sort of the second point guard on the team. And there are other teams who would make him the point, the first point guard on the team. So that's where I think broadly it is it is an interesting question. As far as this, though, it's just Parker Jason Carrot is the starting point guard. He is probably he's their most effective point guard and ball carrier on the floor. And so you lean into his game and try to maximize him. And McDowell White is just the backup point guard on this team, it looks like. Yeah, I don't think... Which is crazy considering the, the hoopla yeah. around his free agency, right? I don't think that... And you know, I spoke to him a little bit last season in, in a couple of trips I was able to make to New Zealand. Very, very happy with the scenario, the situation. I think it suits him uh, fantastically. But I would guess, and this is just pure guess, he wouldn't have stayed in New Zealand if they said, hey, man, you're going to come off the bench and be the backup point guard. You know, I don't <laughs> think that would have been... Yeah, the opportunity he would have been looking for, continuing to build off what was such a great season last year. So, yeah, something to watch there. But this Breakers team continues to play well. I wouldn't be too perturbed from this loss. Uh, Modi Mayor, as entertaining as ever in the post-game press conference, I did like the fact that there was some pesky journos asking about the free throw count for Bryce Cotton with 17 free throws. And Modi Mayor said, I like my money. I'm not going to be engaging in that <laughs> conversation. And as someone uh, like myself that is very frugal, very wise move from Modi Mayor. Don't don't buy into that from the pesky journos. You know what? And and look, Bryce gets. I think it's it's weird. There there are times where I watch and I think Bryce gets a super friendly whistle, and then there are times where I watch and I think that Bryce is getting beaten up. Right. So I I can I feel both ends of the argument of that one. Um, in that game and also in the City Kings game against Brisbane, Brisbane shot thirty six free throws. I didn't feel that though. And even in this one, I didn't really feel it. Well, that, that I, I mean, they were they were, like, fa- they were fouling him. 
Like that's what was that's yeah. what was happening. And and Mulligan and, and Frank on the broadcast, they always do a great job, by the way. I wouldn't say they're biased, but yeah. you know, they, they want the breakers to do well, of course. And they every single time they were like, It's a foul. There's there's nothing that can yeah. be complained about that. So they were fouling Bryce. Yeah. And so and that's why I don't I wouldn't put stock into it. And I'm glad that Modi didn't lean into that narrative. I'm glad that no one I don't think anyone truly did. Because when 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 you feel like someone is unjustly going to the line a lot, you feel that. In that, that Sydney Kings Brisbane Bullets game and in this Breakers uh, Wildcats game, I didn't feel it. It it if someone told me that Brush shot fifteen free throws, I'd have been like like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. That sounds about right. I wouldn't say like, oh, the one involved in that number. Um so yeah, I'm glad that uh Modi didn't lean into that. But look, I, I look at this team and again we've spoken about the uh the, the depth at the five and that how that's an issue. And we I think we knew this coming in as well. Uh, but I think a big game from Zalan Cheatham was a healthy thing because mm. he was really bad last game and he's just working his way back in after his injury. Um, so 25 and 6 from him is great. Anthony Lamb continues to look like one of, if not the most talented player in the league, just just from a pure like skill set perspective. He's just um, he's just so dominant. Um, and Matas Rupstavich is, is just a really good basketball player. Um, yes. So yeah, I think, I think we both believe that this Breakers team, while the start was rough and it Again, it looked like it looked like the Breakers and the Illawarra were just going to be toward the bottom because of one reason or another. This Breakers team looks like a very legitimate team to the point where, like, it uh, right now I think they're a top three or four team as far like, in a vacuum. Vacuum, if I'm looking at them from a, a talent and just how they're performing and how how, how effective they are, um, I I believe in this break this New Zealand Breakers team. We know you do, Olgan. We know you do. You don't need to keep reminding us every week. But they're eight and ten. And they're absolutely they're right team. in the mix. Yeah. No, they're right in the mix. Uh, and they've still got 10 games to play this season, obviously a little bit behind the eight ball uh, with the NBA tour. Uh, yeah. Difficult schedule coming off that. Uh, we won't dip back into that, but uh, it looks like they've recovered <laughs> right. and now they've started to get a little bit healthy. So the breakers are certainly rolling. Uh, just quickly, I, we're not going to get into Tassie this time, but Milton Doyle was Milton Doyle in. And the yeah. Jack Jumpers picked up an easy win. It was nice to see him bounce back. If he's playing at that all NBL, you know, MVP top level, uh, I think we expect that the Tassie Jack Jumpers are going to win a whole bunch of games. He mentioned it and it was so noticeable as well. He, because so he went back to the US, he had a, a family tragedy, which he went and then he had to go and yep. be amongst. And now he's, he's returned and he hasn't been himself since. And he, it seemed like he'd been trying to shoot himself into it. And I think he mentioned that I've just got to get closer to the rim Oof. and it made it made so much sense because we know that's where he can be really effective as well he's floated game the in-between game and that's what he did he found his spots closer to the rim used his touch and that got him into a rhythm and this is potentially the thing that's going to get him in rhythm for the remainder of the season which is what this team needs now him getting into rhythm uh, is coming at the same time that Jordan Crawford is seemingly losing rhythm um, he hasn't been terrific over the past few games but I feel like he's demonstrated enough that he can be effective in this league, if not as just someone who can put points on the board, but as someone who can get to his spots and create for others. Um, and, and so I don't put too much stock into sort of his numbers dipping a little bit. Um, honestly, their season just hinges on one magnet healthy um, because he's just a force on both ends, but also the way that Marcus Lee has been playing recently, because it seems like he's also finding his spots a little bit better. His touch is getting a bit better too. If he's effective, then having Magne on 
some sort of minutes restriction isn't that bad because Marcus Lee is is one of those guys who who makes you feel him on both ends as well. So him playing really well, I think has been good for this this uh, Jack Jumpers team. As much as the results haven't shown it over the past like six or seven games, I think there have been like obvious positive steps there. And Magnay around 11, 12 minutes. Uh, we've been tracking the minutes for a while. And yeah, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I would love to see him by playoff time, if possible, if you could get closer to 25, because yeah, I think Marcus Lee is a is a high-level impact player. Um, but we've seen with some of the foul stuff, it can be difficult in a big game. You really want Will Magne there and playing the bulk of the minutes at the five, if possible, just because we've seen the depth after that. And hey, they've got two high-quality fives, so it's fine. But you don't want to be leaning on uh, the guys below that too much in a playoff game if you don't have to, which we I expect the Tassie Jack Jumpers will be there. Um, so Will Magne, it was good that he only missed the one game in the end. Because I think based on what we've seen over the last few years, it's always just a little your heart sinks a little bit when you see him hurt. I think his heart sank. I think so I think yeah. he just got stepped on. I think his foot got stepped on and he heard like a crunch and was just concerned. Right. Yeah. And that that just might be PTSD from the previous injury. Sure. I think that's what it was, and that's why people was were worried. And then it also took I think it took him thirty six hours to get uh, an MRI or or a scan of some sort on that foot. And so everyone was just like in this weird like waiting game and not really knowing what to do. But do you have Magne's line in front of you? So he played 11 minutes. Do you have his line in front of you? No, hit me. He had, he had 11 minutes. He had nine points, four rebounds, three assists, a steal and a block. Yeah. He was a plus 10 in his 11 minutes. And we've seen this from him. We've seen him put unbelievable production out there in crazy limited minutes, which is... And then so you wonder, that's 11 minutes. Give him 20 minutes. Give him 18 minutes. No, man. What he can do out there. And it's not just the numbers too. Like I said, you feel him out there. He's he's like a physical athletic force. You feel him out there when you don't want to get on the rim with Magnan on the floor. Hell, you don't want to do that with either of their bigs on the floor, to be honest. And so that's why I think there's reason to, as much as Tasmania faltered over the past few games and they, they looked a bit shaky, they looked a bit ordinary, there's still reason to trust him, I think. I think it's the same way that a lot of people look at like the bullets. If you compare them to like the Taipans, for example, Taipans like there's talent there, and they're really funky, and I think they're dynamic. But do you trust them? Like I don't know if you can tr- fully trust what they're going to bring night in and night out. Whereas I think Tasmania, at the very least, I think you know what the baseline's going to be. I really enjoy watching the Taipans play. We discussed them a lot last week, but I think. Good. What you're talking about with the consistency comes with younger players, which almost comes back to the conversation yeah. at the start of the show with Alex Tui and Jalen Galloway and these younger guys. It can be just hard to have that reliability night in, night out. This is a veteran yep. Tassie Jack Jumpers team. Like regardless of whether Will Magnet hasn't played a lot over the last few years, he's a veteran. Milton Doyle's in his 30s. Jordan Crawford has been all over the world for nearly a decade. So they've got a bunch of guys, even the role players. They've been yep. in the NBL for a number of years. So this is a veteran team, which I think allows you to have that trust. When I said that I wasn't too concerned and surprised no one that listens to this podcast weekly about the Jack Jumpers last week, and the reason I pointed to that was because I thought that in important stretches in games and close losses, there was just some really uncharacteristic stuff that I think based on a, on a large sample size, you say, well, okay, well, now this team wasn't rebounding on this. Okay, Milton Doyle's missing the mm-hmm. shots that... It, it was very uncharacteristic, which I sit back and say, okay, well, hit me up in another two or three weeks if this is still happening, because then it becomes a little bit more of a trend. I kind of feel that way about Melbourne United, who have lost two out of three now. Uh, where do you sit on Melbourne and what you've seen over the last couple of games? 
don't I think I think Melbourne's fine. Yeah. I think they had I don't they, so that they lost to Cairns on the road. Uh then they went they came here to Sydney, they beat the Sydney Kings and then they uh they lost to Adelaide on the road, right? Obviously really weird game. Adelaide was playing out of their skin. Um now I don't so that's two of their last three, obviously. This road trip was always going to be a bit iffy for them. They played the bulk of their games at home. Even the two home games. They played a nine-game stretch where I think it was seven straight home or seven home games and the two road games were against Southeast, right? Yes. They they functionally played nine games at their home arena. Um, I, I still think they're the best team in the league, and I think clearly so, right? They're the best offense, best defense. Um, the only thing that I see is like there's a difference between this team and the team that had Jock Landale. Uh, that team was like, I think, far and away just the best team uh, because I don't think they had any holes. And because of Landau and because of like a Hobson, they could just step on you. They could absolutely just break you. I don't know if this Melbourne team has the second part of that. I think I don't think they have holes because I think they're solid offensively. I think the shooting is there. Defensively, we know what they are. Obviously, health is the only factor, and I think Luke Travers was was missed on this road trip or at the start of this road trip. He's a really big part of what they do on both ends, but especially defensively with his versatility and his help. But I don't think they have the capacity to just step on you, right? Golding can hit those heartbreaking shots, and, and I think Joe Luala-Chul Jr. is a really high-level player who can be a version of that, but I don't think they're just going to absolutely like tank you. Right, I think they are going to be the favorite going to every game. They don't have weaknesses, but they're not invincible. And I think this road trip is sort of showing that to an extent, right? And and that's like the most minor of criticisms, right? If if my criticism is you're still the best, but you're not immortal, then you're still in a really great place. But I but I think it's very somewhat revealing of just how good this team is, which is really good, but not far and away run away from the pack right i think if they're fully engaged by the game in front of them they can stomp teams because it's kind of the the anti-sydney that we said at the start of the podcast if your defense is elite on a night-to-night basis you can win games where you don't shoot the ball well you can win games where offensively it's not quite all working for you and we saw melbourne do that at the start of the season they won a bunch of games where they're scoring in the high 70s low 80s because I better double check that. Someone will double check that. But if my memory serves me correctly, <laughs> they're winning a lot of games where it's like, okay, they're kind of grinding this out. Then they went through a stretch in the season where Chris Golden was simply on fire for week on week on week on week. And all of a sudden, the offense is firing on all cylinders. JLA again is starting to look like an MVP candidate. And I think we've seen defense drop off in the game against Cairns to start the game. They, they didn't look engaged at all. Mm. And, and against Adelaide, part of it was DJ Vasiljevic going crazy in the first quarter. I think he had 15, 17 points in the first quarter. Um, but I don't think with the with those two guards that we know, I think they've just dropped off a little bit. Luke Travis isn't there. So all of a sudden, you mentioned probably one of the better health defenders playing the four. He's not there yeah. all of a sudden. I thought JLA was right off in the game against Adelaide. He didn't look like he was as sharp, which was fine because Hook Porty, I thought, was pretty impactful in that game. But... Yeah, they, they just look a little bit, little bit off to me. And you say, well, okay, why is that the case? If me and you were talking about on the podcast last week that Adelaide's the one team that you think you, you can walk in and beat, yeah, maybe they just weren't that sharp. So I think yeah. that defensively they've dropped off. 
And same as with Tasmania over the last few weeks. If we're sitting here again next week or in two weeks' time and have lost another couple of games, we'll say, okay, now this is starting to become a trend. But I just think this defense has gears. And we saw it for 17 games where the defense was just suffocating yeah. absolutely everyone. And I think every team over the course of the 28 games is going to go through a stretch where they're just, they're just not as sharp. And maybe they're not as engaged. And it's, I don't know, it's over the New Year period and Christmas period. Maybe they had a little bit too much turkey. And they're just wearing that off early in the season. But I do expect this Melbourne team to sharpen up defensively and start beating teams again. Yeah, I don't think either of us see red flags here. Um, these 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 do seem like blips, right? Are there indicate are there slight indicators, maybe? But like, I, I'm not really putting a ton of stock in it. Um, if anything, I, I think that the defense, especially, is something that yeah, like you said, we're just going to trust going forward, especially with this with the Dean Vickerman team, especially with the personnel they have. Because you know that Shaili is going to lift everyone. You know that Matthew Dover yeah. is going to lift everyone. And basically, you go up and down that roster, you get them. I find really good indicators in someone like Tanner Krebs finding his form. Um, because I think he was a little bit quiet to start the season, but he's getting good looks. He's hitting shots. He's finding his spots. He's figuring out the best way to play alongside um, the main guys on this team. And I feel like that's a thing that, that's a thing that, that's a thing that, that's a thing that, that's a thing that. That's a thing that as the weeks go on and as we go into playoff basketball, I think the defense is just going to be there, right? We, I think we trust them to to step up their urgency and and do that come the playoffs. But with someone like Tanner Krebs getting those sorts of reps under his belt and then getting into a rhythm, and same with Kyle Bowen, getting all these reps in as well, I think come the playoffs, you're not going to lean on your bench, but you need to rely on a portion of your bench. And I think Krebs and Bowen, outside of like obviously Clark and Hook Porty, they're the two who you're going to have to lean on in in uh, a considerable way to to give you some sort of output so i feel like these are really useful reps for them and yeah I, and yeah just to make it very clear i don't think there, there are red flags here these are just like interesting these are little interesting moments in time i think over the long haul there is good enough reason to trust what this melbourne united team is about uh speaking of trust uh, this is something we've discussed a, a number of times through the season and i conceded a few weeks ago and said look I know I've spoken about Melbourne United's three-point shooting, but they've got the best shooter in the league, and he's knocking down 23 threes every single game, so it doesn't matter. But I will say, if you look at the starting lineup for Melbourne, defensively terrifying. But with Dullavadova, Ely, Travers, JLA, they're not. I don't feel like any of those guys are knocking down the threes when they, when they take the shot. Now, JLA is extremely low volume. He might actually be the most reliable out of all of them, but... Uh, you mm. know, I, I'm looking and they're getting a lot of open threes and Golding, even though maybe it hasn't been his best couple of games, he's still getting your four threes a night. Like he, he's just consistently <laughs> doing that. Um, but it is just the other thing that I'll, I'll just continue to throw out there. I, I don't I don't look at those other guys and when they're shooting the open threes, I don't really feel like they're going in. Sometimes they will. And Tanner Krebs was important, as you pointed to. He was four for six from three. But I still think the three-point shooting, if there's anything you're going to pick at, I don't think they're... Uh, one of the elite teams in that category. Like, Matthew Delvadova is sub-30% from three, um, especially over this the past few weeks, he's been really bad from three. Shea Illy is, I want to say, he's, he's, he's not, he's 21.5% yeah. from three. Um, these guys aren't elite three-point shooters. That's why I think the, the lineup that they ended the uh, Perth game with a few weeks yeah. ago is the lineup, I think, that they should be leaning on more heavily, which I think was Illy, Ian Clark, Golding, uh, Travers, uh, Joe Lawalichul Jr., or Hawk Porty, whichever. 
But I just think having that extra, like, proper reliable floor spacer, especially with Shea Illy's ability to to get in the lane, get to his spots, penetrate, get two feet in the paint, having Golding and Clark on the wing is just way more effective than having Golding and Delavadova on the other wing, right? You can you can help off Delhi as much as he is a veteran who has sort of proven his worth at every level of basketball. I'd, I'd prefer Ian Clark out there and Delhi largely being used as like a second creator. Um, but also we say that now and I'm sure come games that matter, Ilian Gold and Delavadova are going to hit a whole bunch of threes and yeah. that's probably what's going to end up happening. Um, but no, I, I agree with you that this was an issue we... It's something that we, we spoke about really early in the season. And I think the offense was just clicking in a way that was just an unbelievable level that it didn't really matter. But when games are on the line and games are super close, you need that spacing. You need that extra little advantage. And I think, yeah, playing with some of those lineups, maybe getting Krebs more involved if you can trust him defensively. Then maybe those little things are the things that Vickerman's going to look at over the, these next few games. Hey, when you're really damn good, you've got to pick on something. I think Melbourne United will be just fine. Uh, we look to wrap up this podcast now. Uh, plenty going on on ESPN as we pointed to the jump. Nothing but net. Headliner storyline on Monday's Olds Notebook through the week as well. Uh, you'll see that man uh, at an NBL, NBL arena near you. I've seen him uh, posting all sorts of courtside photos. He's like a celebrity out here right now, and uh, we appreciate I, the content. Can I tell a story? Can I tell yeah. you a story? Well, about of what course happened? you can, yes. So, so I was sitting at the Sydney Kings game and like midway through the second quarter, these two young gentlemen come and sit next to me and I don't know who they are. Paul Smith comes over, says to one of them, Hey, like, thanks for coming. If you need anything, let me know. Please enjoy the night, whatever. <clears throat> and then I, someone comes over, gets a photo with one of them. I'm like, okay, this, he must be a, I don't know, influence, a celebrity of some sort. Mm. At halftime, I go to the back. I'm, I'm sort of chit-chatting with people. I'm asking, I, I go to Chris Pongrass, the CEO of the Kings. I'm like, do you know who this guy is next to me? Pongrass, like, I've got no idea. I'm like, all right, cool. So I sit down, third quarter starts. In one of the timeouts, the DJ on the big screen says, guys, guess who's in the building? It's Central C. And I'm like, I don't know who this is. All of a sudden, I'm on the screen. Yes. Because this gentleman is next to me. I thought Central C was a band. I thought it was these two British dudes. Apparently, and I found this out after the game, as soon as I was on the big screen, I got like 15 texts in the span of a minute um, saying, oh my God, you're with Central C. And I'm like, totally, of course I am. Um, I didn't realize until after the game, the extent of the, the fame of this gentleman next to me. He's apparently like one of the kind of top rappers in the game right now. He's mm. sort of a British drill rapper. And I'm I'm familiar with his music, right? I'm aware of it. But I didn't realize that for the majority of this this Sydney Kings Melbourne United game, I was sitting next to Central C, who is allegedly one of the best rappers in the world right now. Uh so that is so you never know who you're sitting next to. And then that seat was filled by Red Foo the following night. And so the Sydney Kings, while they're not getting it done on the court now, off the court, they're getting a ton of really interesting people in the building. So uh that is to say, I am now a very, very big fan of Central C. Yes. Uh, uh, he's now my, my friend and acquaintance. So big ups to my, my new friend, Senj. Yeah, Central C, no doubt about it. Megastar, embarrassing for you that you didn't know who he was. But I'm a big fan of Olga and you. I And, no and oh, so you, when you see him court size, you know it must be a big game. And it's been good to see you up in uh, Sydney and uh, keeping track of everything that's going on there. But this weekend, by the way, uh, let me just, uh, something we've done a little bit over the last few weeks, pick of the games, Saturday night, uh, let's book in some time 
on next week's podcast to talk a little bit of Illawarra Hawks. We briefly said, okay, well, they're winning some games. Where do they sit? Justin Tatum, he's got this team rolling right now. They seem to be making a run. Uh, because teams losing left, right, and center, and the Hawks being one of the most reliable teams in the league over the last month, uh, they're now in the sixth, and they make a trip to Tassie. Really fun. Saturday night matchup. Doesn't feel like we get the Illawarra Hawks ever in the sort of prime time <laughs> slots where everyone's going to be watching these games. So Saturday night hoops, Tassie and Illawarra. Let's talk about the Hawks next week, win or lose. Yeah, so I was I got down to Illawarra for their game against Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. No imports for the Phoenix, so it was an absolute dumpster fire of a game. Oh my goodness! But the can Illawarra I just say? Hawks... Can I just say by the way that Phoenix yeah. game? And you know this over in the US. Some games I'm watching live, but a lot of the times I'm just going no spoiler mode. I'll wake up in the morning and I'll watch the game. I saw Illawarra in Southeast Melbourne, and because the trust level's been pretty low on the Phoenix, I was like, before I commit to watching this game, let me just check the score. I saw the score, and I said, you know what? I'm going to pass. I'm not watching this game. So, Illawarra Hawks fans, I apologize, but I did not watch a second of that game against the Phoenix. No, and look, you, you're you not going to learn anything. You wouldn't have learned anything from that game. The only thing that you maybe learned, if you're looking like peripherally, is that that was a really professional way from Illawarra. Yeah, it could have been yeah, no a doubt. weird one where like, where you let them feel, where you let the Phoenix Took care of themselves business. and stay in the game. That, that was super professional from them. So, it was good to go down and and see the Hawks in person, be around the vibe of that team, figure out what's actually going on there, like what the changes. And so I'm, I, I'm working on a story, so just to go sort of deeper into what's actually happening there, because it's yeah, it's not just as much as like Jacobus bad, Tatum good. Like there, there's some other little things going on. Um, the other warrior is going to be interesting though. They and this is going to be where they reveal themselves because they go to Tassie and then they go to Brisbane. Mm-hmm. So it's Tassie Brisbane road trip. Tassie playing to try to get into that top two. Brisbane to try to stay in that top six. Um, I should be in Brisbane for that game. Tassie plays Brisbane on Wednesday as well. And so a tough double header for Brisbane, a, a, a two-game homestand, but yes. every team's playing for something. So yeah, keep an eye on Illawarra Hawks. Keep an eye on Brisbane, who are now in the six again after being ninth to start this round. It's all happening. We love it. And keep an eye on your notifications on your device as well, because you should have them turned on to the ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour. We bring you a podcast every single week, and we are now officially, I'm going to call it, we're on the stretch run. Most teams with 10 or fewer games left on the schedule, which means the postseason is right around the corner. We're going to dip into some more NBA, certainly once we cross the NBA All-Star Weekend, which isn't too far away in Indy. So uh, lots of stuff to keep track of. Make sure you've got it locked on to ESPN.com.au. Olgan. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you, Kay. We'll see you all next week.